let's go ahead and jump in. We've been in this series. If, the, if you're new here, I want to catch you up to what we're doing. We're doing a series right now uh, where we're going and, and we're hitting it and we're pulling off called Binge the Bible. It's based off of your favorite Netflix series show. Um, how, and you may be going, well, how do you know what that is? I don't. I just know how they're all set up. You know what I'm talking about. Like, they'll release a season, and you'll binge it, right? And then they'll leave a cliffhanger, and you're like, oh, my God, I can't wait for the next season, you know? And then the next season comes out, and you'll binge it, and oh, my God, you know? And it's just this, this emotional roller coaster at all times in life, and I actually hate it, um, but that's me. I'm the guy, is anybody else with me in this? I'll go read the captions so that I know what's actually happening in the show before I ever watch the show. And then I'll never finish the show because I already know what's going to happen. Uh, that's what I do. And I enjoy it. And don't judge me. And um, so what we're doing is we're going through a book of the Bible, essentially a week. And we're binging for a few weeks the Bible, and then we'll back off for a little while, right? So we're in season two of um, uh, Binge the Bible, and we left off last week with the book of Judges. You can catch all the previous episodes uh, on our webs- on our YouTube channel, our, our, um, our podcast channel on Spotify and iTunes, and, and on our website. We left last week uh, in the book of Judges, and we talked about, if you, if you remember, if you were here, if you watched it, it's the cycle, right? It's the cycle that honestly... I believe that we're all living through today. I believe it's the current cycle of our lives and of, honestly, America today. It's rebellion to rebuke, right? And then rebuke to repentance and then repentance to redemption. And then we just keep doing this thing. In our, in our next step or our challenge for the day was this. Um, let's break the cycle. How do you break the cycle? You stay in redemption. You rest in redemption with Jesus, the, the grace, the love, the forgiveness and redemption of our Savior, Jesus Christ. That's where we left off last week, and it leads us directly out of Judges into the book of Ruth. Now, let me say this about Ruth. Ruth can be taught and seen by a lot of people as a love story, right? It's this beautiful love story of a man he meets a woman, and they fall in love and get married. It's beautiful. I hear it taught like that. I actually hear it talked about like that. Can I tell you, that is not the book of Ruth. Don't take it that way. That is not at all the intention of the book of Ruth, and it is not the, it is not the book of Ruth. The book of Ruth is a love story, but not of romantic interest, but of redeeming interest. That's the book of Ruth. We're going to look at that. Now, we always answer a few questions as we get into the book, right? Who wrote it? When did they write it? Who did they write it to? And why did they write it? We talk about those, but before we ever do that, we go to a verse that we're now memorizing, and hopefully you got this under control, is all scripture is inspired by God. Why is that important to know? It's important to know because man wrote the Bible, God inspired the Bible. You, the Bible was not written to you. You gotta know that, but it was written for you. So it wasn't written to you. There's, a, there's an actual audience that that book was written to specifically, but there's things in it for us. That's important to know. All scripture is inspired by God and it is profitable or good for teaching us, for reproof or, or rebuke, for correction and for training in righteousness. Righteousness is not perfection. The Bible is not teaching you how to be perfect. The Bible is teaching you how to have a right relationship with God. So I hear people, they'll ask me, what's the point in reading the Bible? What's the importance of reading the Bible? Why should we read the Bible? Right here. This is it. If you want to grow spiritually, you can't do it outside of the Bible. I'm going to go ahead and say it. There's a lot of people that go, well, I don't have to read the Bible. Yes, you do. Because you don't know God if you don't know what he says. 
If you don't know what he stands for, the Bible matters. It is good for teaching us and rebuking, reproofing, for correcting and training us to have a right relationship with God so that the man of God may be adequate, equipped for every good work. I don't know anybody that wakes up and goes, I want to be way less than adequate today. Just make me less than adequate. Like, I know people that pray up and go, God, just make me adequate enough to get through the day, <laughs> right? He's going, I'm going to make you adequate, good enough, and I'm even going to equip you, equip you, or in, 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 resource you so that you can do every good work I bring into your life. I don't know anybody that would go, I don't want to do good things, and I don't want to be ready when it's time to. This is what the Bible does. Now, let's, let's get on with the four things. Ruth, who was it written by? Samuel, most likely Samuel, and we're going back. It's very similar to Judges. There's a few people that it can be attributed to. It is most likely written by Samuel. Who was it written to? Same people it's always been written to. Same people every other book that we talked about has been written to. The nation of Israel, okay? The whole nation, the entire two and a half million plus people of Israel at this time. Why was it written? Now, this is important. The power of a redeemer. Now, here's what you have to know and why this is important. Everything, everything, everything. Somebody say everything. everything. Thank you. Everything in the Old Testament, everything in the Bible is pointing to one thing, and it's Jesus. It's pointing to one person, and it's Jesus. It's pointing to one moment of redemption, and it's the moment of redemption on the cross with Jesus Christ. That is what everything in the Bible is pointing to. And this book, this is why it is not a romantic love story. It is a redeeming love story of Ruth and Boaz as we continue. When was it written? Around 1300 BC. So we're backing up a little bit to the, from the end of Judges. We're backing up. So if you go to the end of Judges, you're about right here. This is the timeline we've been going on. We started right here. And by the end of this series, uh, by the end of the Old Testament, we're going to be at the Babylonian exile. And we're going to be coming right up to Jesus, man. We're going to be moving into the Old Testament. Right now, with the book of Ruth, we're, Ruth, we're about right here on the timeline. So we're getting there to everybody's favorite character in the Old Testament. Y'all know there's always a favorite character, right, in every story. David is like everybody's Old Testament favorite character. Everybody, he, killed a, he killed a giant. He killed Goliath, right? It's great. I don't know anything else, but I know that. You know, doesn't matter where you are in biblical literacy, and it's fine. It doesn't matter. Uh, I mean, it does, but not for you to be here. Everybody knows David. Now, we're, we're getting to that in just a moment. Now, it's four chapters, and we're going to break them down today, all right? We're going to run through this stuff because it does absolutely 1,000% matter what we're learning from here. It may not have been written to us, but it was written what? For us. Here we go. Chapter one is about running and returning. It's the run and return of Israelites. Here's what I know. As you leave here today and this week, you read the book of Ruth, because many of you will do that. As you go read the book of Ruth, you will see the, the cycle that we talked about in Judges last week. You'll see that played out throughout the book of Ruth too. You'll, you'll see it kind of embedded in there because it is a cycle that the only way you get out of it is resting in the redemption of Jesus Christ. That's it. That's it. And so we'll look at it. Let's, let's open up Ruth chapter one, verses one through two. Now it came about in the days when the judges governed. Now, why is this important? Because you have to understand the book of Judges to fully understand what's happening in the book of Ruth, okay? The judges governed that there was a famine in the land. Go back, Exodus. Why were the Israelites in Egypt in the first place? A famine. They went to go get fed, and the lesson is what feeds us will eventually what? enslave us if we're not careful 
So we see something beginning to repeat here. There was a famine in the land, and a man of Bethlehem in Judah went to reside in the land of Moab with his wife and his two sons. Watch this. The name of the man was Elimelech, and the name of his wife, Naomi. And the name of his two sons were that one and that one. I tried to say them earlier, can't get it right. Of these people, Ephratites of Bethlehem in Judah. So they entered the land of Moab and remained there. Why were they running to Moab? Somebody tell me. The famine, right? Now what was the famine? The famine was a consequence of sin. There was a rebellion that was beginning to take place in the time of the judges and the consequence of the decisions they were making was a famine was coming. This is where people get hung up. How dare God rebuke me? How dare God have consequence? Listen, he may redeem you, but that doesn't mean he forgets the consequence. That did not excite a lot of people in the room. And it won't. They're living in that cycle. There was a rebellion that took place. Now there's a rebuke called famine that is taking place in the land. Now here is what's interesting. Instead of walking through the difficulty of the consequence, they retreated. They ran away from the difficulty. How many times in our lives do we look at God and go, how dare you make me pay for the decision I made? How dare you not forgive the consequence? God, I'm supposed to do whatever I want to do. And when I pray and when I give you my life and when I say I'm sorry, God, that is when everything else goes away. That is not life. That is a fantasy that the enemy wants to sell us to make us doubt the power of God. That God does not do what he says he's going to do if he doesn't forgive the consequence. There is story after story after story in the Bible where God will redeem a soul, but he will not relieve a consequence and we've got to be okay with that and so instead of walking through it it's like so many of us now i'm not going to walk through the difficulty i'm going to run from it i'm going to run from it. i'm going to get away from it so they're in this thing and, and, and there's a question like all right this is the israelites okay this is uh, one family in the israelites and if there's a famine and a consequence of sin that's taking place in the israelites and the israelites are god's chosen people why are they not just blessed why does God not just get rid of the consequence? Why does God not just get rid of what they're going to live in? If only God gave them a blueprint of what could happen if they stayed faithful or if they were disobedient. If only, if only, let's say maybe in Deuteronomy chapter 28, God actually said something like, I don't know, now it shall be if you diligently obey the Lord your God being careful to do all his commandments, which I've commanded you today, the Lord your God will set you high above all the nations of the earth. All these blessings will come upon you and overtake you if you obey the Lord your God. If only God told them what would happen if they were obedient. If only God made it like real clear of what obedience could bring in your life. If you obey, there will be blessings. That seems pretty clear to me, right? But now if only God said something like, now it shall be, if you diligently obey the Lord your God. Uh, oh, wait, let's keep going, sorry. But only if God was clear about this, but it shall come about if you do not obey the Lord your God to be careful to follow all his commandments and his statutes, which I'm commanding you today, that all these curses will come upon you and overtake you. If only God was real clear about what would happen if disobedience was my choice. How dare God bring uh, consequence? How dare God bring rebuke? How dare God bring curses? If only he told me what would happen. I can just hear the Israelites now. God, you're so mean. You know why I can hear them now? Because I hear us. 
God, you're so mean. God, you won't even bless my finances. Well, you go and max out your capital one all the time. Why is that on God? God, God, you're so mean. You won't even give me what I prayed for. And God's going, you won't even obey what I asked. You won't even do what I asked. You won't even remain committed. If only it was that clear. And I'm here to tell you, it is. It is. I know this is hard teaching, right? This is not what we want to hear. We want to hear, hey, good job. You're good enough. You're not good enough without Jesus. I know we want people to come and go, you can do whatever you want to do and God will forgive you. God will redeem you, but there's consequences. And God only redeems repentance, which means to turn away from. Y'all, come on now. And this is reality and this is life. And why in the world were they choosing the wrong thing? In those days, there was no king in Israel and everyone did what was right in his own eyes. Watch this. The only time, and I believe we're doing this today, the only time you do what's right in your eyes as opposed to what's right in God's eyes is you think you're God. And anything that is a little God becomes an idol. And it is very clear there is one God that gets our priority and it's not us. I know what's popular in the world today is this little God theology that if I speak it, it happens. And if I do this, then it happens. And I can create with my word. I can do all the, you are not little God. There are things about God in you, but there are things that were reserved for only God. Only God. You are not a little God because you are not an idol. He is God of the universe. He is the God that loves us. He is the Father that is with us and never, ever forsakes us no matter what is happening in our lives. They were running from the difficulty of this instead of standing in it. Now, This is important because I was quizzing some people ahead of time before the uh, first service we had today about this. And I was just like, I I just told them this. I believe if you understand this map, you understand the entire book of Ruth. So take like a mental picture, just right? Take your mental picture, whatever you need to do, because this is the book of Ruth. Why is this important? And this is what I was asking them. What is different about this? What is important? You have to know history. This is where, hear me, this is where you have to know this stuff. Moab. It's real interesting. So they're moving from Bethlehem to Moab. They're running back this way, right? Why is this important? Moab was the wilderness that they talked about in Exodus and Leviticus. It is the 40-year area where they spent their days and suffered as a nation. And 82 funerals a day so that an entire generation would die out. And two and a half million people could then move to the promised land, which was? Which was? I'm pointing at it for you. I'm giving it away. So the Israel of nation in Exodus and Leviticus are living here. They move up here. They cross the Jordan River. They get across the Jordan River. What happens? They have to, their circumcision, all this stuff. They have to cut away their past and the gods of their past to take Jericho. After they take Jericho, they defeat a, town, a nation called Ai. Ai, uh-oh, right? You're going to remember it now. And all these other nations are happening. Don't go listen to the song. Just listen to that. <laughs> all this stuff and then we know that they divide into 12 nations 12 tribes right and they take over all the land coming down on this side and that is the nation of israel now 12 tribes now watch this this specific family lived right here in bethlehem so nation goes from wilderness to promised land do you see what's happening here this family's going from promised land 
to wilderness. Watch this, this is why it's important. This is why some of you are so unhappy right now. This is why some of you cannot believe God because you keep fighting the same things you've always fought. And it's because God's brought you out of slavery, he's brought you out of bondage, he's saved your soul, he's done all this stuff, but the moment it gets difficult, in the moment it gets hard, instead of staying in the promised land with the one that got me there, I will retreat back to the wilderness where I'm comfortable. And I'll go right back to the very thing that he delivered me from. I'll go back to the same addiction. I'll go back to the same mindset. I'll go back to the same negativity. I'll go back to the same bondage of the wilderness that kept me there when it was supposed to be cut off up here. And now I'm just running right on back. God, I'm good. God, I got it from here. God, how dare you? And God's just going, no, just stick it out. This is called a consequence. And every good father gives consequence to the kids that he loves. We talked about that in Proverbs. And in Hebrews. And the truth of the matter is, is they're going, no, I'm going back. I'm going back, I'm going back, I'm going back. I just need to tell you something today. Don't you retreat from the consequence, repeat, repent from the decision. Amen. Repentance is to walk away from, not to retreat from. Repentance does not mean I retreat from the thing that I have to go through. It means I walk away from the problem that's holding me back. That I do something with what I'm supposed to do. Don't go back to the wilderness. That is not your future. That is not your life. You are better than that. He's already brought you to the promised land. Stay in the promised land with him. They're living in Moab. And they get more and more and more and more comfortable with Moab. Then Elimelech, Naomi's husband, died. And she was left with her two sons. And they took for themselves Moabite women as wives. The name of the one was Orpah, and the name of the other was Ruth. And they lived there about 10 years, and then both those two guys also died. You can figure out how to say that. And the woman was left without her two sons and her husband. Why does that matter? She now has no value. The only value you had in that culture as a woman was the men in your life. You couldn't get a job without them, you couldn't get money without them, and you had no value without them. This is important to understand. Why is it important to understand? They got so comfortable. Now, why is being in Moab? They got so comfortable in Moab. Moab was bad. Why was it bad? Well, if you go back to Leviticus, it clearly talks about Moab was an enemy of God. The Moabites were direct enemies with God. Why? They worshiped little gods. And now, the people that were supposed to have dedicated their lives to God are going back to the enemy of God and becoming a part of them and doing the very thing that God had delivered them from and becoming a part of that. And what was the whole point of the Old Testament? What was the whole point of Leviticus and Exodus? What was the whole point of Deuteronomy? It was this. (laughs) Be different. Don't be like that. Don't worship the little gods. Give your life to me. Follow me. Trust me. Let me guide you, not them. Let me provide for you, not them. Look different. Be different. Act different. So in 10 years, they're there 10 years. All this death has happened. All these things have happened. And now Ruth has learned that the famine is over in Bethlehem, back in the promised land. And and Naomi goes, not Ruth, Naomi, I'm sorry. Naomi has learned that the famine is over and she goes, I'm going back. I've been back at my former place. I've been in the wilderness too long. It's time for me to go back to my home. It's time for me to go back to the land of God. It's time for me to go back to the very place God brought me from. I'm going back. And he looks at Orpah and he looks at Ruth and he goes, y'all stay in your hometown. 
You stay here. You stay where you're at. Stay in Moab and find husbands and start new lives. And Orpah's like, peace, later. I'm gonna stay here. But Ruth, I'm gonna break this thing today. I don't know why I keep hitting it. Um, Ruth actually makes this statement. But Ruth said, entreat me not to leave you or to turn back from following after you. For wherever you go, I will go. And wherever you lodge or stay, I will lodge. Your people shall be my people and your God, my God. This is important. Ruth had only known little pagan gods. But in this moment, she was going, it's not enough. It's not enough. There's something better out there. There's something greater out there. There's a bigger God. There's a greater God. I will go where you go. I will make your God my God and your people my people and we will do all of these things. Naomi, I am with you. But here is the dilemma. There's not a good story without some drama. If Naomi goes back to the land of God with a daughter-in-law that's a Moabite who is an enemy of God, it's gonna cause all kinds of chaos. How dare you bring her back in here? Not only that, she has no value, so she could be killed. This is culture. This is where you have to understand culture. And it gets real interesting, and Naomi very, very well could have looked at Ruth and been like, nah, I'm good. I'm out. You're staying here. You can come if you want, but you ain't coming with me. Don't attach my name to it. But they go anyway. Naomi goes anyway, and she takes, she takes it. And watch this, watch this. 19 through 21. So they both went on until they came to Bethlehem. And when they had come to Bethlehem, all the city was stirred because of them. Why? How dare she bring a Moabite in here? Not only is it a Moabite, it's a daughter-in-law. She's now family with a pagan, an enemy of God. And the women said, is this Naomi? Is this Naomi? But she said to them, do not call me Naomi. Call me Mara, for the Almighty has dealt very bitterly with me. Watch this. And I went away full but the Lord has brought me back empty. Why do you call me Naomi since the Lord has testified against me and the Almighty has afflicted me? Isn't it interesting how we blame God for our decisions? Isn't it interesting how we look at God and go, it is your fault that you are mad at me and you are doing this to me and God's going, it's your fault that you made the decision. You either choose to be a friend and a child of God or an enemy of God. And it's honestly that simple even today. How dare you, God? And God's going, no, how dare you? There's, there's consequences to everything we do. And she's beginning to realize. She walks in. She's being very open about what happened. And then verse two, 22 takes place. So Naomi returned and with her Ruth, the Moabitess. So she goes, I don't care. Watch this. I think, it's, I think this is awesome. Naomi goes, I don't care how they treat me. You just need to be in the land of God. Welcome to inviting you need, there's people in your life that just need to be in the presence of God. And how will they go if you don't bring them? Her daughter-in-law, who returned from the land of Moab, and they came to Bethlehem at the beginning of the barley harvest. Why does that matter? They have no value. They need a job, and they need food. And so now God is lining some things up in their lives. Here's your takeaway from chapter one. Don't run from repentance. We don't retreat. We don't run from repentance. When repentance is necessary and repentance, let's go back, is not an apology. Repentance is to turn away from, to go in a different direction from. If it is not of God, I need to walk away. If it is not, if it is not biblical, I need to walk away. If it is not godly, I need to walk away as fast as I can. Don't run from repentance. Don't retreat in the consequence. Just run. Don't run from repentance. Run to it. 
Now, chapter two happens. And Ruth now begins to meet this guy named Boaz. Boaz. Boaz shows up. And uh, she, so they're back, barley harvest, Boaz shows up, and verse one says this, now Naomi had a relative of her husband, a man of great wealth, I'm gonna show you that in a minute, of the family of Elimelech, whose name was Boaz. Why does this matter? You have to remember there's a famine taking place for 10 plus years of life. Some of you walked in here today and you feel like you're in a famine. You feel like you, don't, you can't get enough peace, there's not enough grace. Nobody loves you. Nobody cares about you. Think I'll eat some worms. All that stuff. Y'all remember that little song. If you don't, you were deprived. Um, you may be in a famine in your life today. A man of great wealth. Why does that matter? God can bring success in the middle of famine. God can bring success in the middle of famine. You may be in a famine today, and I'm not gonna deny that some of you are. In fact, statistics would say that a large majority of you walked in here in some kind of famine in your life. But I need you to know that if I'm obedient to God in the middle of the famine, he can bring great success out of it. I can come out of the famine greater than I came in. I can come out of the famine more blessed than I went in. I can come out of the famine greatly. Now watch this, let's keep going, let's keep going. And Ruth the Moabitess said to Naomi, please let me go to the field. This is a weird request. And, and glean among the ears of grain, following one in whose eyes I may, I, may, I may find favor. And she said to her, go, my daughter. Na Ruth is looking at Naomi and going, I just want to go get harvest from the edges of the fields out here, uh, the edges of Boaz's fields. I just want to go get the harvest. Now, what in the world does that mean? Let's go to Leviticus uh, I know it says Ruth down there, but it's not actually Ruth. Leviticus 19, verses um, 9 through 10 says this. Now, when you reap the harvest of your land, this is what she's referring to. You shall not reap the very edges of your field, nor shall you gather the gleanings of your harvest. And you shall not glean your, from your vineyard, nor shall you gather the fallen grapes of your vineyard. You shall leave them for the needy and for the stranger. I am the Lord your God. Here's what he's literally telling in Leviticus, God is setting a law. You only reap your harvest in the middle of your field. You leave the edges for anybody that needs what you have, and they can come and get it from there. You don't touch it. In fact, he says, if anything, if any grape, if anything falls off the vine, do not pick it up. Leave it on the ground because there will be needy people that come into your life that need to walk into your field and get some of what you got. Here's the lesson. I can't utilize my energy, my finances, and everything I have in my life to the edges of capacity and not leave any margin for people that need me. There are people in your life that need your generosity financially. There are places in your life, this is why Radiate Church, we declare and we will always be a generous church. We give to multiple organizations every single month so that we can be generous. Why? Because we leave the edges of the field, we take what we need and we leave the edges of the field for margin for organizations that need it so that we can fund what God has called them to do. If I don't leave margin, I've got nothing to give. I thought you'd be way more excited about that, but that's okay. No, you're good, because the reality is most of us eat our margins and our harvest. 
And so when other people show up in my life, I have no margin to bless them. I have no money to give to my church. I can't give 10%. I'm eating my margin. I can't give over and above. I'm eating my margin. Man, forget that. I, don't, I can't spend time with you. I'm at the margin of my time. I can't give you anything more. I'm at the margin of my energy. I can't be in a life group. I'm at the margin. And we're eating our margins. And God's going, if you leave the edges of the field, then you can be a blessing to people when they need it. If you'll do what I ask, that's the whole thing right there. And so what we can know is she is in Boaz's field, which means Boaz was a man of God because he did what God asked him to do. He left, the, the, he left it. So here's what happens. Verses eight through nine of Ruth chapter two. Then Boaz said to Ruth, listen carefully, my daughter. So Boaz sees her, getting, sees her out there getting from the edges. He starts to ask around about her and this is what he says. He says to Ruth, Listen carefully, my daughter. Do not glean in another field. Furthermore, do not go on from this one, but join my young women here. In other words, stay here. I'll provide for you. Don't go find other fields. Just, just come into this one. It sounds a lot like what Jesus would say to us. Don't, don't find your provision anywhere else. I got you. I got enough margin. I got enough crops for you. Watch this. Keep your eyes on the field which they reap. And go after them. Indeed, I have ordered the servants not to touch you. And when you are thirsty, go to the water jars and drink from what the servants draw. He's looking at her and go, don't, you don't need to go anywhere else. I got you. He felt drawn to a woman that grew up in an era and in a place where all they worshiped was idols. And he was a godly man. He was a man that trusted God. And even though she was a Moabite, he blessed her. Now watch what happens, what she does. Then she fell on her face, bowing to the ground and said to him, why have I found favor in your sight that you should take notice of me since I am a foreigner? Boaz replied to her, all that you have done for your mother-in-law and after the death of your husband has been fully reported to me and how you left your father and your mother in the land of your birth and came to a people that you did not previously know. Watch this. May the Lord reward your work and may your wages be full from the Lord, the God of Israel, under whose wings you have come to take refuge. He goes, I don't care where you come from. I don't care what you've done. Essentially, here's what he's saying. <laughs> I don't care where you're from. I love you where you are. But too much to leave you there. It echoes the very line in the very message of Jesus Christ in the love of our father. Now, this is an odd response from, uh, from, from here. Naomi to, to Ruth. The Lord bless him. When Ruth went back and told Naomi, Lord bless him to her daughter-in-law. He has not stopped showing his kindness to the living and the dead. She added, that man is our close relative. He is one of our guardian redeemers. Now, this is important. You're gonna wanna highlight this. Guardian redeemers, kinsman redeemer. You'll see it in there uh, throughout in the scripture, depending on what version you have. Here's what a redeemer does. A redeemer pays a price to make it, whatever it is, right. How can he pay to make something right if it's not wrong? He pays what we can't to make it right. It's the very reason Jesus is our redeemer. He pays to make it right. Here's what a kinsman or a guardian redeemer does. He would buy a family out of slavery. If, if, if a, an, another country or nation came in and took one of his family members as slavery, he'd go buy them out of slavery. We are slaves to sin. 
but Jesus buys us out. Come on. He will buy back property that is stolen from them. It's in Leviticus 25, 25 through 26. Why does that matter? Everything, the Bible says, everything that the enemy stole from you, he will give back. And not only will he give back, he will give back so much fold. Help, he would help family members out of debt. It is a, a family, um, uh, it is a family position in a family. He would help people out of debt. In other words, what you can't pay, he will. You can't pay for sin. You can't pay for the separation between us and God. Jesus does. He pays for what we can't. He would marry widowed women. Why does that matter? He would marry the widowed women because whenever the husband dies, you have, no ver- you have no worth. And he goes, I'll give you worth. You and I may think we're good enough outside of Jesus, but we're not. The only time that we are good enough is whenever we put our, hand, our future in his hands. And he ensure the family name continues. Here's our takeaway in chapter two. There's always help. We're never alone. There's always help. Every single time, every single place, every single moment we're in debt, every single moment this thing happens, there's always help and his name is Jesus because he loves us. Chapter three, chapter three, we get a bachelorette story happening here. Boaz proposes, kind of. We'll look at it, it's, it's interesting, right? He kind of proposes, right? So in Ruth chapter three, one through two, or 2B two, two through 4, what is happening is Naomi looks at Ruth and goes, Ruth, we gotta get you a man. You need a husband because you need value. We gotta get you a man. And I know the man. He's a guardian redeemer. He's a kinsman redeemer. His name is Boaz. And I'm gonna tell you, you ever had somebody walk up to you and go, you know, like for all you single folks, y'all ever had people come up or maybe you were single when you were single and now you're married and people come up and be like, I'm gonna, I, I, got, I had game back in the day. Let me tell you how to get a man. Let me, let me tell you. This is what Naomi's doing. Like, let me tell you what to do, Ruth. I got you. I got you. He says, behold, he being Boaz is winnowing barley, reaping barley at the threshing floor tonight. Here's where he's going to be, Ruth. I'm going to tell you how to, whoo, girl. She goes, go take a shower. Wash yourself because you stink. And anoint yourself. Put on your perfume, girlfriend. Let's go. And put on your best clothes. That stuff ain't going to work, Ruth. That stuff ain't going to work. It's stained. It's not. Put on your, put on your dress, girl. Show your shoulder. Let's go. Put on your best clothes. I'm having a little fun. And <laughs> And go down to the threshing floor where he is, but do not reveal yourself to the man until he has finished eating and drinking. Let this be a lesson. Don't mess with a man until his belly is full. All right, just leave him alone a little bit. Like, if he ain't listening, give him a sandwich and then give him 10 minutes, all right? (laughs) Eating and drinking, let's keep going. And (laughs) And it shall be when he lies down that you shall take notice of the place where he lies. This is so weird. Stalker. Watch where he lays down. And you shall go and uncover his feet and lie down, even weirder. And then he will tell you what you should do. And she said to her, all that you say, I will do. That is bold. She's like, I'll go do it, whatever. Whatever we gotta do. And and let me just tell you, this is not a steamy night on The Bachelorette, okay? This is actually not steamy or romantic at all. We've had a little fun. It's actually an act, every bit of this is an act of submission and humility on the part of Ruth. That's all it is. It's not anything to try to win him over romantically. It's for her to go, I want to submit my life to you. Sounds pretty familiar, right? Let's keep going, though, because it gets good. When Boaz had finished eating and drinking, his belly was full, and he was in good spirit. See, I told you, feeding a man makes him happy. It's biblical. (laughs) He went over to lie down at the far end of the grain pile, 
And Ruth approached quietly. <laughs> Y'all, I just, in my head, this is how my... <laughs> Shh, don't wake him. Don't wake him up. Ruth approached quietly, uncovered his feet, and laid down. <laughs> yeah, that's the thing. Dude makes feet cold. In the middle of the night, something startled the man. Well, that's shocking, let me tell you. I'm shocked he got startled after the first verse. He turned, and there was a woman laying at his feet. <laughs> and he goes, watch this, verse 8, or verse 9. Who are you, he asked. He doesn't even know who it is. Just like a woman to turn her back and when she's laying in bed. Just don't even look at me. Anyway, that was a joke, y'all. That was a joke. Some of y'all didn't laugh because you got offended. I was just kidding. It's okay. Who are you, he asked. I am your servant, Ruth, she said. Spread the corner of your garment over me since you are a guardian redeemer of our family. Now, sounds really strange. She uncovers him for her to cover her. She laid down at his feet so that he could cover her. And it was cultural. It was not romantic. It was him, if he would put the corner of his garment over her, it was him going, I will cover you from this day forward. You are mine, I've got you. Now watch what happens in verse 10. And then he said, may you be blessed of the Lord, my daughter. You have shown your last kindness to be better than the first by not going after young men, whether poor or rich. This is important. She could have went after anybody, but she went after the Redeemer. You can go after anybody. You can go after any little God you want to go after. You can lay your life down at the feet of any pagan you want to. Nobody can challenge that but you. It's your decision. But I believe God's going, but I will bless you when you come to me. I will bless you when you lay down at my feet. I will cover you when it's my feet that you come to. I will cover you because watch this in verse 11. So now my daughter, do not fear. I will do for you whatever you say for all my people in the city know that you are a woman of excellence. They know that you came from Moab. They know you came from sin. They know that you don't have the best path. Path past, but they now know that you're a, man of, a woman of excellence and I will cover you from this day forward. It is the sign of a redeemer. Watch this. Run to redemption. Today. Run to redemption. All God is asking, all Jesus is asking is go to where he is and lay down at his feet and go, I can't do this. But I can if you'll cover me. Because I can't pay for it. And I can't redeem myself. And Jesus, I could go anywhere else. But I'm running to you. And I'm giving it to you. Now chapter four is going to go quick. Wedding bells. Wedding bells. I was going to call it happily ever after. But marriage isn't always happy. It's hard sometimes. You can call it whatever you want. I called it wedding bells because it felt fun. Wedding bells. Ruth chapter four, one through five. And now Boaz, now here's what happens. Boaz goes, I'll, I'll cover you. I'll take you as my wife. But again, drama. There's a, there's a, there's a, there's a, a relative that's closer to Naomi than me. He gets first right. If he doesn't want to redeem you, I will. So now Boaz went up to the gate and sat down there. And behold, the redeemer, the, the, the relative whom Boaz spoke in was passing by. So he said, come over here, friend. Come here, friend. Sit down. And he came over and he sat down and then he took 10 men of the elders of the city and said, sit down here. So they sat down. There's actually a big lesson in this. I just don't have time to go through it, but it's really good. I'll go through it one day in leadership. And he said to the redeemer, Naomi, 
who has returned from the land of Moab has to sell the plot of land which belonged to our brother Elimelech. Then Boaz said, on the day that you buy the field from the hand of Naomi, you must also acquire Ruth the Moabitess, the widow of the deceased, in order to raise up the name of the deceased on his inheritance. Here's what he's saying. You can't just have the stuff, you have to have the relationship. There's a lot of people that are seeking Jesus for his stuff. We want God for what he gives. And can I tell you something? I fully believe you can't have what he gives until you have who he is. It's a package deal. It's a package deal. And it's actually, this story is a reminder that it is our choice of what we get to do. Because watch this, then the redeemer said, I cannot redeem it for myself. Otherwise, I would jeopardize my own inheritance. In other, in other words, you can decide to take the package deal or not. This guy says, nah. He goes, redeem it for yourself. You may have my right of redemption since I cannot redeem it. Which God are we gonna turn to? Now here's the beauty. The deal is happening. The rose is being passed. I actually hate the bachelorette, but it's being passed, right? All this stuff, like it's there. Now watch this, the story continues. 13 through 14, now, so Boaz took Ruth and she became his wife. And he had relations with her and the Lord enabled her to conceive. Now, this is beautiful. And she gave birth to a son. And then the women said to Naomi, blessed is the Lord who has not left you without a redeemer today. And may his name become famous in Israel. Watch this. When Naomi came back from Moab, what'd she say? God left me. I get nothing. Woe is me. He took everything from me. And they look at her and go, no, see, Naomi, you're actually blessed of God. It just took longer than you thought it would. And it come in a different way than you thought it would. Your blessing from God may not be here yet. But can I tell you, if I follow him, it's on the way. Whatever it is, it may look different, it may feel different, and it may take longer than you think, but I'm telling you, it's on the way. You will be blessed of God if I am of God. I'm just telling you, your blessing may be on the way. Come on, somebody. You need some faith to know that it's on the way. Now, there's a small little Easter egg that happens to lead us into the next portion of Scripture that every good show has an Easter egg. And the neighbor women gave him a name saying, a son has been born to Naomi, so they named him Obed, and he is the father of Jesse, the father of David. Dun, dun, dun. We'll pick up on that next week. But here's your takeaway. Jesus redeems us. I know some of you today are in the Moab. You've been living in Moab. You were raised in Moab. You've never walked out of Moab. Or maybe you walked out of Moab and you walked back. You walked out of sin. You walked right back to it. You serve every God but the God. You've given your life to addiction and financial insecurity and other people and all this other stuff and you're serving all these little gods and God's going, I just have a redeemer that wants to cover you. And it doesn't matter where you're from and it doesn't matter where you are. I love you there, but too much to leave you there. And I wanna take you back to the promised land, but you have to be redeemed. You have to be redeemed because you have no value outside of the redeemer. And I want to redeem you. And I'm, I'm here to pray two things today to close this out. One, there are some people in the room that, number one, you have to give your life and lay your life at the feet of Jesus and go, cover me today. Cover me. I give you all that I have. I'm not the best. 
I've never been the best, but I lay my life down to you today and declare that if you'll cover me, I'll walk with you. I'll be with you. I'll give you all that I have. And Jesus is going, I want to cover you. I want to be with you. I want to love you. I want to walk with you through life. Just lay your life down. And then two, I'm going to pray that we become Naomi's. Because Ruth needed somebody that believed enough in her to go, we're going back to the land of God. I'm going to take you to a place where you can experience God. There are people in your life today that need somebody like you to bring them to experience God. And if you think somebody else will do it, I pray to God you're right. But what if you are the Naomi in their life to bring them to a place? That's why inviting in prayer is so important. That's why we will never stop growing in this church. We will always do whatever we have to do to reach as many people as possible. So I'd love to pray with you today. If you would, just bow your heads. And there's a team of people that are gonna begin getting ready to serve you on your way out today. But if you're ready to lay your life down and give your life to Jesus, thank you for giving me a few minutes today. These messages tend to take a little bit longer than normal, but they're so powerful. And if you're ready to lay your life down at the feet of Jesus and just say, I'm giving him all that I have, I want you to pray this with me right where you're at. Dear Jesus, I give you my life. I'm sorry for what I've done. Forgive my past, forgive my present, and redeem my future. Cover me from this point forward. Walk with me, guide me. I give you all that I have, and I, I, I just say I can't do this without you. Be my redeemer. God, thank you for making room for me in the family of God. Loving me where I am, but not leaving me there. And Jesus, thank you for your sacrifice on the cross to pay for the redemption of my sin. I give you my life today. Now, if you pray that prayer as people continue to pray all over the room, I just wanna know who prayed that prayer today. So if you prayed that and you gave your life to Jesus today and asked him to cover you, would you just throw your hand up real high right where you are and just go, hey, right here, I prayed that prayer today. I gave him my life. I gave him all that I have and I wanna walk with him from this point forward. And what's gonna happen is they're gonna put a clipboard in your hand. That's it. And before you leave today, just fill that out. Take it by our prayer corner in the back corner right over here. They wanna pray with you. Here's all we wanna do. We just wanna give you some resources. We just wanna walk it out with you. We're not gonna call you. We just wanna, we wanna do this together because we believe in doing life together. Now let's pray, God, help us take this word today and live it out. Cover us, forgive us, and let us walk out like we are covered today. Help us live and love you greater than we ever have and let us be a Naomi in somebody's life and bring them back to experience the love of God in their lives. We love you so much. In your name we pray, amen.